especially for the women's retreat, just because we're trying to remind, remind the women that they're warriors and it's a warrior medicine. And so it's a, a strengthening, like you are a, a badass. You can do this. Let's prepare your body to go deep. Those are the things like I want to remind, especially women, like we're going to have a, a part where we're going to go really primal. We're going to dance around fire and we're going to embody animals that we feel called to, like all those things that um, our ancestors did that we no longer do, but our, our bodies and our souls desire to do that. It's just a very empowering thing. And it's funny because I was always going to all these entrepreneurial things, wondering, am I going to come up with the next best idea? Am I going to feel fulfilled? Am I going to feel powerful and confident after I do some of these things? And it really wasn't working for me. And I tried hard a lot. I did a lot. And it wasn't until I started just softening for the first time in my life rather than being so hard and pushing forward so hard that I really realized the things that I actually need to do to get those things that I was in search of. Welcome to Neurons to Nirvana, a platform for creative forces that embrace the unconventional and the quest for artistry, humanity, innovation, health, and healing of the mind and soul. Join me, Tom Hartridge, on a journey celebrating experiences unbound by physical borders or traditional norms. From inside the mind to the far reaches of the universe, this is Neurons to Nirvana. Today's episode is magical. We get to meet the mushroom mamacita, Bijou Finney. We talk all things medicinal and the mystical benefits of mushrooms and how psilocybin has set Bijou on an entrepreneurial and life-changing journey. If you're an entrepreneur, this is a great listen on how to enhance your creative edge. Also, if you've ever suffered with burnout, depression, or anxiety, then Bijou is a great guide on the benefits and opportunities to reduce or even eliminate antidepressants, specifically SSRIs. If any of this resonates with you, visit the show notes to find Bijou's website and learn about the various retreats and courses where you can work with her one-on-one or as a couple. While you're there, please like, subscribe, or follow this podcast on your preferred listening platform. And if you're even more ambitious, it would mean so much to me if you would complete a very short survey on how to shape future episodes of this podcast. I'm very excited for you to listen to The Mushroom Mamacita a branding coach, herbalist, and holistic guide, Bijou Benny. Hey, Bijou, thank you so much for joining me this evening. Hello. As we record, you're in Virginia and I'm in Texas. Super excited to talk about what you're doing right now. It's a, it's an immense passion of mine, uh, for better or worse, depending on who you ask, in my family. <laughs> Family, friends, and, and the and the universe. I'm a self-proclaimed psychonaut. I wanted to speak to you because I I think that uh, what you're doing is is great. We are in the midst of a psychedelic renaissance, mm-hmm. and so I want to talk to you about what you're doing. So why don't you enlighten myself and the listeners and, and talk about what you're doing there as we speak on your property in Virginia. Yeah. So um, 
I, I guess I've been working on my own psychedelic journey for about five years now, um, really focusing um, on healing. But at first it wasn't, it was all just like, what can I do to be a better entrepreneur? Like, how can I have more creativity and stress management and focus? And uh, when I started microdosing, I was seeing amazing results. And that's when I started into big trips. And <laughs> big trips, uh, you don't really, you can't really explain until you do them. But uh, I started really, really seeing some major shifts in my life. So that's when I was like, "There's something here. This is this is incredible. This is magic. This is nature, and it is wow." And and so that's when I um, became just this mushroom maven, I guess. I just wanted to tell everyone that would listen to me um, about them and ask them to to try them in a in a manageable way, which was typically like microdosing. And um, once all my friends and family members had tried them, I ran out of people to talk to. So then I started talking to strangers. <laughs> um, and but then, I mean, I, I definitely have so much respect for them and for ceremony around them and their power that I really wanted to do my due diligence and become much more um, understanding and trained in how to properly support people on their psychedelic journeys. Because when I was um, uh, experimenting on myself, that, I mean, a lot of people are not going to do that. They're not going to be maybe as as stupid or brave, whoever you ask, as I was um, in some ways. And so that's when I really got passionate about helping people. But then at the same time, uh, I started realizing that a lot of my past trauma and what I thought about myself and my mental blocks were all about like self-love and really appreciating myself and all of my weird quirks. And even like my sexuality was like very dampened and weird. And so that's when I started going in that path a little bit more too, just because I feel like it's such a huge part of our existence that if we heal all those aspects or understand all those aspects, then we have a better time on this planet. So I kind of just pieced together or Frankensteined together this modality, <laughs> this therapeutic modality that I like working with people on. And that's where I currently am right now. And I'm I'm just loving it. It's it's so fulfilling and it's so much fun. So you have to humor me. Uh, you've been doing this for about five years, but what? When was the moment? Did you come up with this on mushrooms on psilocybin? <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah, I um, I actually love. Um, I, I I have like my big trips set aside for important things. So for instance, my partner and I, we have one big trip every year to kind of re um, reconnect and bond and maybe wipe the slate clean a little bit. And then I have a big trip for like my entrepreneurial clarity. And it was this time two years ago, right when I moved here. 
Um, well, it was actually one right before we moved here. We, I had a trip telling me that I needed to move out here and do this. And then once I was here, uh, the mushroom mamacita was, was from a trip. And it was, you need to be telling the world about us and you need to be doing it in a way that does a better job than it has currently been, been going around. The PR on us is terrible. We need a new PR agent. I need you to go out and, and talk to everyone you can about us. And so that's when Mushroom Mamacita was born. And it was a really, it was really scary. I mean, it definitely did not make a lot of my friends and family members happy, but you got to be you, right? Absolutely. So was this an inner dialogue or did you hear a voice of Mushroom Mamacita? Because it just rolls off the tongue or I, I love saying it. <laughs> well, um, I'm actually from El Paso. So I still okay. have that Mexican root. And yeah, I mean, a lot of the research that I was doing in the ceremonial aspect of it was the, the originally like from the, the Latin American part of the world. So I really was just... Uh, just obsessed with with how they were doing it and where it, it came from from them and so yeah I think it was during during a trip and it I don't remember exactly if it was a a voice or if it was just like a deep knowing but it just came to me and I was like no that's silly and then I'm like but it's kind of me. <laughs> so yeah. then I told my partner about it to help my integration process and he was like yeah, that's kind of you. So I'm just it. stuck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We only have one life, and that's kind of what I've come to the realization. And what psychedelics have helped me realize is that you have to sort of embrace your true identity. Mm-hmm. I was in corporate sales for 12, 13 years, working for the man, checking all the right boxes, or so I thought. Mm-hmm. As I've mentioned before, we started suffered from depression, bouts of depression on and off since I was 16. And I'm not trying to dissuade anybody from therapy. I still have a therapist, but there are things that are within you. And psilocybin is a tool that I have used to enhance my creativity along with really become courageous and mm-hmm. in, in things that I believe and I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. And I can only say that had to be the breakthrough for you. What I want to talk about primarily is you have a program for microdosing. Is that for your retreat, for entrepreneurs, and also couples? Or how do you formulate and how is it constructed? Yeah. So kind of to go back to what you just said before, I feel like that's the number one thing that everyone that I've been working with is getting out of mushrooms is that empowerment. You actually think that you're capable of changing your life or being okay with who you are and like actually like appreciating it. So I think that's that's my biggest thing is I at first wanted to work with entrepreneurs just because they do make so many choices that affect all of us. And if like entrepreneurs were really um, going about it in a more conscious way, I think it would move the needle a lot faster and and, in a much better direction. I do have a microdosing guide and I do like consulting people on how to start their their microdosing, but it's really just a gateway. It's uh, something that they're really comfortable with trying because it's small 
doses that are manageable. They still feel like in control. They still can go about their lives, but they typically get really comfortable with mushrooms really quickly and then want to do other things. And so I really just help people understand what their psychedelic journey could look like and then support them on it. So some people have severe trauma in their past and they need to have a certain path. And some people have certain goals nowadays or certain busy lifestyles or relationships that need fixing. And so it's really just like talking to that person and understanding what their journey could look like and then supporting them on it. So helping them with the planning of it, helping them with the support during it, and then typically integration afterwards, whether that be virtually or in person. And your retreats, how long are they typically? And how often do you offer them? So retreats can be all over the world in different states. I'm doing four this, this year, no, five. And one is for couples and the rest of them are for women to kind of heal their mother wounds and their sister wounds and to kind of take a peek at their higher selves. So it's a, it's a really like intense five days, but yeah, I just came back from Costa Rica. But what's so awesome is that you can build some pretty interesting programs for people and then just make legal and illegal plant medicines part of the program, depending on where you are. And they're all extremely powerful. Right. That's the sad truth that we live in is that uh, unless you're in specific areas where it's decriminalized in the States, mm-hmm. in Oregon, it's mm-hmm. still technically they're still working out the kinks mm-hmm. and the therapeutic stages of that. But how are you using your program to remove mental blocks? It's really hard for people to really bring down their walls and be honest with themselves, even in a therapeutic setting at times. And so I like when my clients will take a microdose before we do a a virtual chat. I use the training that I learned from the VITA program to kind of dig deeper into their psyche and understand potentially what might have happened in the past or what programming that they have looping in their mind that might be blocking them right now. And then understanding how to either swap that out for something that's a little bit more beneficial or to really heal that past wound. And I've found that people are much more open and can visualize much easier and can soften into themselves much easier and even move emotion somatically much easier. If you were to go to therapy, it would be really weird if you were to like curl on the floor and and cry and roll around. But I think that's what we need a lot of the time. And that's why it's hard for us to get that out of our systems. But if we feel safe in a container to do so, and we have that catalyst or that that extra little support that the mushroom gives you to open, then being seen and seeing that problem and having someone support you on that is a pretty powerful thing. And integration, you've talked about it. After they've gone through a retreat, how long is the integration process? Because that's an issue that I've had, not only with my own journey, is that people are, whether it's psilocybin or ayahuasca, they are continuing to use, I think these are medicines that have been left here for a reason, breadcrumbs, so that we can help enhance ourselves. I mean, you know, there's a theory that mushrooms are how we expanded our consciousness to begin to become creative and draw on in cave, caves and, and actually learn how to 
communicate like you and I are. Mm -hmm. What does your integration process look like? Yeah, I I really agree. And honestly, being in Austin, um, I saw a lot of that. It was kind of like, oh, look at how many ceremonies I've done. But it wasn't ever a talk of seeing real lasting change in their lives. And and so that's when I really wanted to go back to, to do a lot more training on the integration side of things. So whether or not it's a virtual session that we do or it's a, a retreat, integration is the most important part. So at the end of every session, depending on what we found, I definitely give them practices that they should utilize to support themselves in integrating some of the messages that they got from their bodies or from the mushrooms or some of the things that they've found to help move that that pain out or to reprogram that block. So all we do on the on the journey or even in the trip is uncover a lot. But what you do with that information is the most important thing for you to actually like see lasting change in your life. So it's all pretty specific prescription for who you are and how you're able to integrate this into your life and keep up with the integration. But it's a lot of talking. It's a lot of writing. It's a lot of practices um, because we are still open to messages for like weeks after Uh, opening that portal. And so getting into flow states is really important. So you could have part of your brain babysat by the motion that you're taking while you're letting the the back of your brain or your subconscious kind of reintroduce um, or remind you of some of the messages that happened during your trip. So yeah, I would say that the people that actually get support on their psychedelic journeys are the ones that I've seen do the best. Like some people will come to me and they'll get some information on what to do. And then they're like, hey, I'm, I got, I'm good. I got it. And then they come back a couple months later and they're like, I don't really know what to do with all this information. And I'm like, yeah, yeah let's work on that. <laughs> <laughs> do you have somebody who helps you in this process? So me personally, like my yeah, mentor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that was one of the things that I was really amazed about is um, I guess I was pretty entrenched in the whole capitalistic entrepreneur world. And it doesn't really feel like even when you have mentors that that they can't really like give you like that much. It's like a very limited interaction. But yeah. some of my mentors in this space have been profoundly open and there for me and really supporting me and such amazing people because they've done so much of their own work. So yeah, I think every coach needs a coach. Every mentor needs a mentor. Every doctor needs a doctor. Yeah. Every shaman needs a shaman. (laughs) Yes. Uh And where do you think we are currently in the psychedelic renaissance? If you had to forecast, because you and I, we can talk about this, Mm -hmm. but we can't really talk about or disclose where we're doing this. Mm -hmm. That's the sad truth. But I have a lot of optimism here. I just attended South by Southwest and there were like 15 seminars specifically on psychedelics. And so that's exciting. Yeah. And there was a panel from maps, of course, Mm -hmm. and Tim Ferriss did one with uh, the leading doctor from John Hopkins. Mm -hmm. And I think we're on the forefront. I guess my point is, is where do you see this going? If you had to guess. 
So, I mean, looking at our past, there's so many ways that my brain could understand what's about to happen. And I hope that it doesn't really go down the path that cannabis did. I mean, I appreciate cannabis for getting people a little bit more comfortable, or at least the people that made a lot of money off of it that kind of pushed it through. I am a little bit worried in the fact that cannabis, alcohol, even ketamine, they're all addictive, like people get addicted to them. And a lot of times people use it to dissociate rather than to like deal with their problems, they will numb out. So that kind of keeps in the whole model of like constant need of it. Whereas like mushrooms, if you do it right, a really long lasting runway, and they're very inexpensive. And that doesn't really fit into the capitalistic model very well. And so So the fact that people could grow them very cheaply by themselves and not get addicted to them and not ever like have any issues happen health-wise because of them kind of makes it hard for people to make money off of them, which means that they might try to synthesize it and do this whole PR about, oh, don't deal with the scary trips, just deal with this part of it. And then they like lock down only psychiatrists able to do it. And then you have to go in this sterile room and put a mask on and, and some like clinician just randomly holds your hand rather than a ceremony where you're like out in nature and you're hearing a drum and you're smelling incense and you're getting the full embodied um, experience of it, which I feel like is, is how humans have always done these types of medicines and it needs to continue that way. So I don't honestly know what's going to happen, but if, if humans have anything to do with it, probably not great at first, but I am really passionate about talking about them and the respect for them because the last thing that I want is a lot of people hearing about the benefits and running out and like taking a bunch of them and having a traumatizing experience because they weren't prepared and they weren't in the right environment and they weren't like integrating it afterwards. And then all of a sudden everyone's like, what? These are horrible things. Kind of maybe like what happened in the past. So yeah, I honestly, I think about this all the time, but since it's the wild west right now, we have zero idea what's going to happen. It's a double-edged sword. I kind of look at it. Mm -hmm. It's also, uh, I'm hopeful, but I'm like you with cannabis and I think it's a, it's a different animal. Oh yeah. And, and also I'm concerned with pharma. Mm -hmm. What are they going to do with it? I've had on a prior episode, uh, a scientist talking about extracting the synthetic compounds of this, Mm -hmm. but the plants itself themselves, that's the pure thing. And Look, I'm not trying, and we're both on the same page. We're not saying go buy an eighth of mushrooms and eat them by yourself. Mm-hmm. Be in a safe setting. Mm-hmm. Be someone who you trust and know mm-hmm. because set and setting is so crucial. And there's also a fine line where, I don't know, I, I feel like we there could be a point where this it could just go way off the track. Mm-hmm. And the purity of these plants will be taken away. So just like what you're saying that like the intelligence or the soul of the plant is the thing that I think heals or at least has the intelligence to give you the kind of trip that you need. 
It's all about expectations, though. So for instance, if someone took a bunch of mushrooms, the mushrooms don't know where you are. They're just going to help you maybe process some past trauma. And if you happen to be at a concert, then yeah, that is going to be super traumatizing. So if you are prepared for the fact that, oh, yeah, this happened in my past, it might come up again so I can process it. And I have someone here to support me on that. And I know I'm okay. And I know it's for my better good for my future that I process this. And then I expect to be out of my mind for like four hours and maybe I'll be tired the next day. If you give everybody these expectations, they're much more open to the healing aspect of it. But if they have zero idea what's about to happen to them, their whole body is locked down. Their nervous system's locked down. Everything is just like on panic mode. And it's like trying to heal this rock, you know, rather than this this soft little bunny that's like ready for it. And so, yeah, I mean, it's it's so nuanced and interesting and people have to like be prepared for it and then they have to be prepared to do some work afterwards. And that's another thing. It's it's like a three-month focused being diligent with your microdosing protocol or like a couple big trips a year to really move a lot. Some people are like, can I just microdose for a month or when I feel like it or do one trip and then be healed? And I'm like, no, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily work like that. What are your thoughts on microdosing on the frequency aspect? So I like to tell people that um, there's that intuitive microdosing, which at this point, five years later, that's what I do. So I will take long breaks and just ut utilize it as I get stressed or as I need the extra support or if I'm trying to help my brain focus on a, on a project that I'm working on. At first, it, it was um, I need to be focused on um, understanding what the intention is behind each microdose and actually like supporting the information that was coming out of my brain during those microdosing sessions that I feel like I really started seeing some big changes that allowed me to, to really like give it my all. So I think that intuitive microdosing for a long period of time is appropriate for some people, but others, sometimes it's just nice for them to do like a container of a couple of months and then take a couple of months off and then come back to it. So it really just depends on the person. What's your opinion on how Silicon Valley and the entrepreneurs out there have embraced microdosing? Mm -hmm. Of course, it's not just psilocybin, but LSD and, and so forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's why I started microdosing. I was in the entrepreneurial world and I wanted to biohack my way to, right. to greatness. I didn't realize that it was going to like be a, a soul shaking experience and it was going to like heal deep wounds. That was kind of like a plus that happened. But it is amazing how you see problems from a new angle and you're, you're, mind just opens in a way you see colors that don't exist on this realm. So like what that could do for your marketing or what you that could do for a product that you're building or a software that you're building, it really does open your mind up to all these new innovative um, ideas. So yeah, I understand why Silicon Valley guys are doing that. And to my point, how do you, without 
sharing all your secret sauce and ingredients. Give me a broad stroke of what you're doing as far as for entrepreneurs and the use of psilocybin and how they can integrate that in their day-to-day businesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think all of the my past kind of is finally like culminated in this interesting, I guess, sauce, a uh, secret sauce. And before I was consulting people, before they were about to drop a bunch of cash on creating content for their brands and they just probably weren't ready, like their brands weren't polished enough or their messaging was weak or they didn't feel passionate enough about it and it would come across in the content. And so for a long time before I even started on this journey, I was consulting entrepreneurs on obviously some blocks that they were experiencing. And that was honestly one of the reasons why I wanted to have a a tool to be able to not only help myself, but them with those mental blocks because the whole imposter syndrome and past trauma that it that affects your ability to want to speak publicly. I, I know that you brought up my documentary. It was eye-opening for me to ask to interview some of the most powerful or uh, successful men in the United States or even world, and them all have the same problems. And so it's kind of like, doesn't matter where you are on your on your business journey, we're all experiencing the same mental blocks. And and I believe that a lot of those come from past traumas or from programming that you picked up from your parents or from your teachers or from your society, and they're no longer serving you or you don't align with those anymore, but they're so deeply embedded in you that they're still affecting your ability to, to grow and thrive as an entrepreneur. And then also why I got into the couple side of things is not only from selfishly for myself to learn how to support my relationship, but your relationships affect your business so much. If you can't ask your partner to support you or they don't believe in you and you don't know how to have these conversations or you're always fighting, your business is going to suffer too. And so it really just happened organically that I just started adding on to my call sheet, I guess, with my trainings just because I wanted to be able to support people in the way that I needed support. And that was across the board. Right. In the documentary, The the Gentleman Driver, it's really fascinating. I had no idea. Are there any women that are taking on? They're in motorsports. I think like the first woman gentleman gentleman driver, yes, was like (laughs) this last year. So that was pretty cool. And how did you come up with that topic to pursue that and produce that film, The Gentleman Driver? Of course, we've got Coda here, and that's where you filmed a lot of it mm-hmm. here in, in Austin. But how did you come up with that topic for the documentary? Yeah, so it, it's funny. One of my best friends um, was a race car or is a race car driver manager. And we were both, we are both obsessed with entrepreneurship and doing better. We were both together in all of these entrepreneur organizations and learning how to be better entrepreneurs and networking and, and always just go, 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 go. And he asked us to come to Paris for the Lama race because his mm-hmm. client was going to be the first Mexican to to do it twice and potentially win. And so they wanted to have a camera crew available. So at that point, I owned a video production company and we went and I just was like super geeking out because a lot of my favorite authors and entrepreneurs were there and some of them were drivers. And I was like, how interesting that 
they, um, their brains are going so fast all the time that the only time it slows down is when they're in a car going like 200 miles an hour. (laughs) And also the parallels between their business and and their racing life, because every race team is essentially a little business. And so, uh, I was like, God, I wish I could just interview some of these other guys about this as well. And it was just one drunk night in Paris that we were like, damn it, let's just create a documentary about that. And we asked a few of them if they'd be interested and they said yes. And so we went back and tried to find the funding and we found it. So we got to like travel to all the different parts of the world that these huge racetracks spin together a story about it and it was so much fun yeah it's fascinating i mean i love race car and coda's awesome experience and i would love to get on a track i'm not so sure if it would be the greatest idea for me but (laughs) um, i got to go on one it was awesome i got to go on coda actually um in in a porsche yeah Uh, there was a driver obviously but he was a really good driver and it was very scary (laughs) but but also amazing how fast were you going on the straightaways Hmm. i mean over a hundred for sure i i i I, my eyes were closed a lot of the time (laughs) (laughs) um the the force on your body is really intense um it, it is it is that experience of being in in the car going around the track makes you have more respect for drivers than and I already had so much respect for them after oh, yeah. being in the pit and trying to stay awake for that long and being like so full of adrenaline all the time how do they pay attention and and do this so precisely especially cuz they're just these they're novice they're not professionals and so when i was finally in the car i was like wow that is intense. It's kind of like a trip. <laughs> yes, I can. I could definitely see it being so. And what are these teams funded by these gentlemen drivers exactly? So there's certain racing associations. So like IMSA and and WEC are some of the ones where gentlemen drivers are actually like a part of it. And it's since the beginning of of the sport that gentlemen drivers were really like funding it. So yeah, the gentleman driver on the team, there's has to be two pros and one amateur. They typically fund quite a bit of it or all of it. And it's a really interesting, I mean, because you never know who's a pro and who's an am- amateur on the track at any given time. And yeah. that just makes it really scary <laughs> and interesting. <laughs> I would say that definitely that project put me in this sphere of some pretty um, high-functioning entrepreneurs. I would say that that a lot of super focused entrepreneurs that that I know, they all have some experience with mind altering substances um, to to support them. So whether it's to to let them uh, relax or let loose, or it's to hyper focus them on a certain project, or to be able to manage stress, I would say that. Um, maybe not all of them would consider themselves psychonauts and they're not like constantly on something, but they all have some experience with it. Yeah. And that's the thing that I, I want to stress with people is it's not the frequency. <laughs> it's what you get from the experience. Mm-hmm. This is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And you cannot go rogue on this. And I've done that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I, I have I have to throw myself under the bus, but I've found a lot of valuable experiences with my worst trips. Yes, but 
Uh, I will say that some of my most apprehensive clients uh, were that were like, I don't want to feel my microdose at all. Like I, it, it could do it for two years and maybe it'll work really slow and maybe it'll help my, you know, pathways connect and maybe it'll help me with my stress, but I don't want to feel it at all. And then they get comfortable with it and they're like, okay, now I want to feel it a little bit. And then they get comfortable with that. And they're like, you know what? I think I'm ready to do a light tea or something and have an, an experience. And then they they cry for the first time in a long time. And then they're like, oh, how amazing was that? And then, then they're like, you know what? I'm actually ready for a little trip with my husband uh, or my wife. And then they do like two grams. And then they're like, you know what? I think I'm ready for like a really big trip next year when we plan it. And I'm like, Okay, a person that did not want to feel it at all, microdosing helps them get more comfortable with it and okay. and allows yeah, them yeah. to feel like it is soft and and it can be huge, but you're you're more prepared. Like a meet the mushroom tea is something that I like to talk about with some of my clients and it's just forming an intimate relationship with the mushrooms, meeting them and going, "Are we cool?" I respect you. <laughs> Help me. And yeah. what does this feel like? And then your brain softens a lot to it because without understanding even a little bit what it feels like, that just tension and not surrendering to big trips is such a thing that really makes for um, not that of an enjoyable or like really profound experience sometimes because people are just not wanting to let go. Whereas I would say the people that have formed a little bit more of a relationship with the mushrooms and trust them a little bit tend to surrender a lot easier during a big trip. When you have a client lock up, mm -hmm. one of my worst trips, I'll use myself as an example, like a dumbass, I ate way too many at a concert when I was uh, a student at the University of Georgia and I had a shitty semester <laughs> and was like, oh, I can eat this. And my friend said, what are you doing? And then the bravado and the arrogance, I just, if, I mean, it was ridiculous. But I literally locked up and could not talk. And I was saying, I'm going to leave this concert. And my friends, I'm a huge live music fan. Like, it's music is one of my medicines. Mm -hmm. And they said, do you realize you're about to go out in the parking lot right now? And, and I, I could barely talk. So how do you get somebody who's that locked up to open up and express what's going on in, in that locked up in their mind? Because it's such a huge chasm. So um, that was your nervous system spanking you. Uh, <laughs> yes. That was yes, the mushrooms also getting mad of at you course. for not respecting them. Of course. <laughs> but And that's why I'm using myself yeah. as an example for the audience to understand, do not do that. Yeah. But um, <laughs> when the mushrooms feel respected and your nervous system feels open, uh, that typically doesn't happen as much. Not to say that people don't have challenging trips. Um, that that is That is a thing that happens. But honestly, if you go in with a mantra, there's all these amazing uh, recordings in history about how um, 
trance states and mantras go go hand in hand. And if you have a mantra that you've been practicing sober that really does calm your body and you know it deeply, like even on a cellular level, and you've already practiced breath work and you've already been talked about what to experience or what to expect with your experience, people can really resource themselves. Um, and then also having someone like rub your back and tell you that you're okay or even hold you, those things really help. Um, breath work is like one of the best medicines for that. But I would say that that is one of the most powerful things about this plant medicine is when you have a challenging trip and you resource yourself back to a state of, of safety, because it's always right after that horrible tension that you experience bliss. the most liberating yeah. bliss in the entire <laughs> yeah. world. Once you get out of that, I was, I mean, it happened to me so many times where I was on some track. Mm -hmm. the, of whatever was going on in my life that was bothering me. And then when you come back, mm -hmm. you realize that's the beauty that you realize like, that all, mm -hmm. all is right in the <laughs> whole world. Everything's going to be okay. Yeah. And then journaling those horrific things, because uh, if you don't capture that, then mm -hmm. how can you reintegrate that? Yeah. In your day-to-day -day life, you know? I would say even some of my clients that are on microdoses, like if they're dialing in their perfect dose to be able to know what the right dose is for being a parent and being on Zoom calls and driving versus a little bit of a better or bigger dose for like hikes and concerts, like you can really dial in the perfect dose for you, depending on what you're wanting to experience in your life. But there are times when they'll be like, oof, like I got this rush of anxiety or I got tense or something happened. And I'm like, you have to support your body and moving that tension up and out of you. And typically when you do a stretch or breath work or even a sounding um, exercise or go on a walk or even get a hug, that experience right after is just so euphoric and so blissful that it reminds you. It, it's almost like here's a gold star for helping us move that energy. Like I, we need support. It's like your nervous system and your body asking for it. And once you once you help yourself do that, the the goodness that you feel afterwards is really a sign that you are going in the right direction. And when you say hug, I think that's a perfect segue into what I wanted to ask you about it. psilocybin with sex and relationships. Mm -hmm. Psilocybin can enhance a sexual experience with your partner. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you embrace with your clients or how does that Work. Yeah. So, I mean, that is such a small part of it that um, right. I would say that most relationships are not um, thriving the way that they want them to because they don't feel seen. They don't feel safe. They don't feel excitement. They don't feel love and appreciation. And all of that comes from mushrooms. It's just a byproduct. <laughs> Whenever I started exactly. experimenting with my partner, there was one trip that we had where I like cried. I cried really hard for a long time. And he was just helping me with that. And he could feel my pain. And I'm like, when else can a partner like feel your pain like that? It, it, it desensitizes or it sensitizes you so much to your surroundings that you can actually like feel the energy of your partner. And that is so beautiful. Also, your walls come down, whether your walls came up from a past relationship or they came up because of the relationship that you're in, 
you can really see each other. Also, you're not so afraid of them seeing your true self. You're much more open when you're on psilocybin or most um, uh, plant medicines or psychedelics. So I would say like some of the biggest problems that I help my clients with are figuring out the, the real problem. So we figure out what are the the dragons that each of them have and why are they triggering those dragons and what they can do in normal life to not do that. But typically microdosing with each other and doing small trips with each other or helping each other integrate these things makes them so much closer and gives them something fun to do with each other that is pretty life shaking. And what I saw in my own relationship versus what I've seen in some of my clients in supporting them, sex is just like the cherry on top. If you right. if you do exactly. like a fun hippie trip, that is <laughs> something that you should do after like to celebrate a year's worth of hard work that you guys did with each other. So yeah. Exactly. And I I, I came across something uh, combo. Oh yeah. What's your experience with that? Yeah. So that's going to be a big part of some of our retreats because it really does open your system up to uh, go deeper with plant medicines. So doing it right before you do a big journey is really important. It also has like incredible health benefits. Oof, uh, I just did one recently and a session with an amazing woman that is going to be doing it at uh, some of my other retreats. She lives in Austin. So if you want to do it again, I will <laughs> set you up with her. She does such an amazing job of creating a ceremony and holding space, but she did one for me out here. And I felt like a million dollars the next couple of days. It was amazing. Yes. So I did it. It was very courageous for me. I didn't know much about combo. Sounds scary. <laughs> It's, no, it's very scary. Like if you read about it, it's becoming more and more popular. And I have done ayahuasca ceremonies three times, and people have all kinds of different reactions. It could be anything. It could be shaking. It could be crying. It could be purging, like throwing up. It could be the other way. I mean, purging is just like purging of energy, and it could be purging toxins, and it could be purging emotion or energy that's locked up in your body. So yeah, it's it's definitely going to be a part of it, especially for the women's retreat, just because we're trying to remind, remind the women that they're warriors and it's a warrior medicine. And so it's a, a strengthening, like you are a, a badass, you can do this. Let's prepare your body to go deep. Those are the things like I want to remind, especially women, like we're going to have a, a part where we're going to go really primal. We're going to dance around fire and we're going to embody animals that we feel called to, like all those things that um, our ancestors did that we no longer do, but our, our bodies and our souls desire to do that. It's just a very empowering thing. And it's funny because I was always going to all these entrepreneurial things wondering, am I going to come up with the next best idea? Am I going to feel fulfilled? Am I going to feel powerful and confident after I do some of these things? And it really wasn't working for me. And I tried hard a lot. I did a lot. And um, it wasn't until I started just softening for the first time in my life rather than being so hard and pushing forward so hard that I really realized the things that I actually need to do to get those things that I was in search of. So I just love that I kind of full circle came to this point and 
I'm sure it's really weird for some people that knew me in the past to to maybe take a look at my Instagram now and go, what the hell? <laughs> but we're all on our own journeys and we are. Yeah, yeah so I've, I've only, yeah, I've only mentioned it in passing on this podcast because it is an outside the box thing. I mean, you're extracting the help me out here combo comes from which Amazonian the tree frog, frog is it? Uh-huh. monkey frog. It's they're really cute. They're like really big though. <laughs> <laughs> they're enormous. Yeah, they're, they're huge. huge. It matters that you get it from an ethical source where they're not hurting the, the frogs, but they they definitely stress them enough to where their toxins come out, um, and then they take them off of their backs, and then they put them on like a, a wood piece, and then they send them to Cambo practitioners, and there is. Um, a certification and and groups that actually do a really good job of training professionals, but they have to uh, enter it through the second dermal layer. So you have to burn uh, just a little hole in your skin. And I know that sounds weird, not all the way, just like a, a tiny, like if you dropped a match on your skin and then they um, put the medicine on that way. And it typically will make people purge after that. But uh, all the peptides that go flooding through your system, I mean, I know a lot of triathletes do it. A lot of cancer patients do it. It's, it is pretty incredible, the health benefits associated with it. And it's legal. Ever since I moved out to the Blue Ridge Mountains, all of the medicine around me that I'm learning about, um, it is, it's just amazing. Like there's medicine all around us and there's medicine in our breath and there's medicine in our connections with each other. There's medicine in listening to music and even staring into fire. It's, it's all really cool. <laughs> and I can't wait to learn more about this as I go. You touched upon it earlier and I have to assume you're familiar with Icaros mm-hmm. during ayahuasca ceremonies. During your retreats, how do you integrate music into your ceremonies? That's a really good question. I feel like uh, ayahuasca is so important to have really good music. So whether it is a couple people playing music or I, I feel like really being around musicians that are playing like either the, I mean, any of the the drums and, and all the things like that was Oh, so amazing. But with, with mushrooms, it's really interesting to me that I want to start most of our ceremonies with sound healing with like crystal bowls, just because it all puts us on the same frequency. We're all resonating with that sound and, and opening, but sometimes music is very loaded for some people. So it's such a long playlist and I don't want a triggering song, um, to, to come on or, uh, sometimes like I've, I've done so many of my own ceremonies that, um, the feeling of the music really affected like my mood, whether it was like more of a somber music or, an upbeat music or even a sad music, it took me through so much emotion, which would have been wonderful if I wanted to be on that ride. But at times I was really wanting to go deep into certain things and the music would bring me up and out of it. And so I'm very careful to uh, potentially have little to no music unless 
we keep bringing back in like uh, sound healing music, but otherwise being really careful about how much music we have on, especially the super deep trips, just because I want them to be in their own minds and I want them to not be affected about the world around them. Sensory overload. Yeah. Yeah. It can be sensory overload. But I mean, if it's like a couple's trip or a couple's experience um, or where you're able to walk and talk and dance, then, oh, absolutely, like music is imperative. So it really just depends on what the program is and how much you're trying to do. Right. When you're doing these programs and retreats, it's it's all, is it always outside? Are you a maloka? What's the structure? So it really just depends on what the program is. Um, a lot okay. of times it's important to be outside if it's a manageable dose, just because it's really great to ground and to be in nature. But on the really, really big doses, uh, it, it people typically want to be in a really comfy nest for a, a really long time. And they don't want to worry <laughs> about anything. <laughs> they don't want to worry about mosquitoes. They don't want to worry about yeah. thunder. They don't want to worry about animals in the bushes. It's just like really nice to be, to build your nest and to go in there and then just to know you're really, really safe for a long time. But I personally, I love the stars. Uh, on well, psilocybin. at the end, when everyone's like still under the, uh, the plant medicines experience or, or hold, but they're able to actually move, <laughs> then yes, going out under the stars is an amazing way to end. But some of, some of the experiences that I help people with, they're typically what you would want a facilitator's help with. So a pretty big amount, uh, which means they typically can't move very much or shouldn't. <laughs> I came across your goal, 10,000 women in 10 years. Can you talk about that to females? Yeah. So what I believe, and actually when I first started, I felt like most of my messaging and some of the deep experience that I had had with women, um, it felt like I was supposed to be a woman's coach. But mm-hmm. recently I've had a lot of men um, as clients and I really appreciate them. They really balance me out and they they need just as much support as women do. And I also love helping couples. But what I believe is that as a lot of uh, marketers know, the women bring everything into the home. They like go out and find and come home with the knowledge or the new products or uh, they are the the ones that run the the world, their world inside of their homes. And um, I will say that if they have more support and more healing, that their daughters are going to be healthier and happier, their sisters and their mothers and their friends. And so that's really uh, wasn't that I personally wanted to touch 10,000 women, but I want to touch enough women in a really intimate one-on-one situation. And then exponentially that would, yeah, that would grow out because of them. And I think that if more women have more healing and more confidence and more knowing of their power and more abundance, that the world would probably be a better place. How amazing would it be if everyone was growing their own medicine and uh, and every woman in the household was a medicine woman that was giving people the medicine that they needed and the support that they needed? How amazing would that be? It would be beautiful. I mean, how are we going to destigmatize this medicine? Because I, I can't, I can't get through to my sisters and, and my aunts 
who are all kick-ass, badass women. And they just look at me like mm-hmm. I'm a nut. Maybe I am. I probably, you know, I'm definitely. <laughs> you are to an extent. I definitely. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely, I'm definitely eccentric and unique, and I embrace that. And that's also something that psilocybin has, has given me the courage to do. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the biggest things is a lot of people don't want to rock the boat. Uh, they, they're kind of comfortable in that boat. They might be depressed and anxious in that boat, but they're in that boat and they don't want to get out of the boat because the ocean is a very big and scary place that is unknown. I think that it's going to take really good press and people seeing really astounding results. That's what I've seen, at least with some of my clients, is maybe their partners were really against it or maybe their family members were really against it. But then the uh, amount of change that they see in their partners or family members, it really gets them like, hmm, that's really interesting. And it takes open conversations, which is very hard to do unless you're supported or feeling strong enough after your psychedelic journey to do so. I mean, I'm still getting a lot of pushback from a lot of people about my path at this point, but I have to stay true to it. And I think that little by little, people are going to get more comfortable with it. And that's why I really do love microdosing, just because um, it's something that people still feel in control at first. And then they get comfortable with the idea of not being in control. And that's the first step. And that's like little by little chipping away at what these people have been programmed to think. I mean, it's they're not wrong for listening to all of the crap that's been in the media for 50 plus years. You know, I've been trying this or in this on this path for five years. And I, I figured that it would be another 10 before I ever really got to do what I wanted to do publicly. And it was pretty quickly, I just in the past two years that I've felt safe enough to do so. Cause I've seen other peers that I really respect talking about it in a, in a really ethical and um, intelligent way that helped me to understand that as long as I did my due diligence and tried to understand this medicine and I respected it and I came up with a way to support people on their journeys that I could in fact come out and talk about what I really truly believe. So I think it's going to happen more and more. I mean, it's happened so fast. Like you said, all of a sudden there's all these panels at South by and all of a sudden there's all these like psychedelic influencers and books and documentaries. And I mean, it's just too powerful to stay under wraps for too much longer. That's why I love mushrooms so much because they are not addictive. How much success are you having with your clients getting them off of SSRIs and antidepressants and tranquilizers Mm -hmm. and all that stuff for anxiety? Mm -hmm. It's one of the main reasons why people reach out to me. And it is pretty amazing. Um, Most of my clients that I help have been on it for 15 plus years. And uh, it takes anywhere from two to six months to wean off of it and to feel really good off of it. So it it is awesome. And, And what a lot of people think is that they have to stop SSRIs before they start microdosing, but that's not the case. They actually take it while they're microdosing. And then little by little, they start understanding that they don't need to take it all the time. Some of my clients are even having that conversation with their doctors and getting supported by their doctors with their microdosing regimen as well. So that's the kind of stuff that really makes me hopeful that 
they're just not seeing the results that they want to, or they feel really dead, or they're having really bad side effects, like their libidos are shot, and they just feel horrible all the time, and it's just not worth it to them. To get off no, of to it? Stay or on to, it. Get to stay on SS. To stay on it. Yes, yeah. I mean, more often than not, most of these antidepressants, they really just ruin your libido. Yeah, they ruin a lot. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, and I, that's the thing that I can't really my family and some friends have not understood is that I wanted to get off of these things. And in all honesty, going back to them in different periods, it's like a crutch for not just myself, but a lot of people out there. So you are able to see up to two, you know, within two to six months, you're able to see somebody. Yeah. I, wean them. I off I will say that I believe that mushrooms are so good at helping people get off of those because the reason why we're depressed and, and anxious is because we either don't feel safe or we d have past traumas we haven't processed. And so if you have support in that and you're constantly resourcing yourself in your body, that empowers you to do that for yourself instead of need something to to numb you to that pain or numb you to that anxiety. So that's why I think it works so quickly is that people are like, when they're really diligent about staying on their microdosing protocol and they actually do the practices to move the locked up energy and stress that is in their body that they're needing to take that stuff for, they no longer need it because that's no longer just wreaking havoc in their, in their bodies and their minds. Right. Because that's the societally, like in society, that's the thing where we are in this renaissance, people, and then pharma, of course, mm -hmm. they keep just saying, take this pill. Some of my clients are on four, four different SSRIs or antidepressants and really? anti-anxiety. Yeah. And they have been for a really long time. And they, they come up with this cocktail or they have to start trying a new one after a while because that one stops working for them. And then they find horrible side effects from some of them. And then some of them kind of work, but they're not really like, they don't know if they're really working because they still get these feelings. And and that's just not good enough, in my opinion, for them to have to spend that much money and to have those kind of side effects. Like, that is not a viable solution for you if, that, if that's what you're Absolutely telling me not. about it. Especially because it's like their relationships are affected and their focus is affected. Their parenting is affected. Like, a lot of things are falling to the wayside. And those are the things that if you were supporting and you're feeling good about those relationships, you would be much happier as well. But we're just not given the tools. We're not given the support. We're just given these pills that make other people rich and make us sick. Right. And then I, I have to ask you, uh, I read something, Integration Alchemist. How did, how did you come up with that? So I, I just like the concept of alchemy where we're yes. – uh, you can turn things into gold. So we can turn what has happened to us in the past into something that is beautiful and we can transmute that up into something else. Like some of my most traumatizing experiences and some of my most trustful experiences have made me who I am. And I love those aspects of myself. Like I love my shadow now and I will always need to be working on that. But that's the alchemy. Like uh, I've also noticed that I've when I called on the universe to help me find the right clients for me, it 
it is pretty amazing that they're like, I just randomly stumbled upon you and I've been thinking about this for a while and you just said all the right things in your, in your marketing or on your website or on your social media. And, and then when I dig deeper, I find out that we all have the same exact issues and I either have overcome them or I'm currently working on them and to have the alchemy of us like healing each other with our work. I can't believe that's my <laughs> job. Uh, it, it is yeah, so yeah. beautiful. And I mean, like I tell some of my clients, I was an intimacy uh, like phobic before. And now my job is to be extremely intimate with people on a, on a daily basis. And it's kind of like the universe going, here's your medicine. <laughs> here's the healing that you were asking for. And it's just, that's the alchemy that the integration um, that I'm asking for and calling into my life is coming in through my connections with people, with my conversations and with my clients. I mean, that's the thing is these plants, they're teaching us if you do them in safe and controlled environments, the importance of self-love relationships and the, how we're actually all the interconnectedness mm -hmm. in the world. Mm -hmm. We're not that we're, we're all in this together. Yeah. And I think that's the thing why sometimes people have a hard time with normal therapy because they're not feeling really, really seen sometimes, but you could do a trip by yourself and integrate by yourself and feel pretty healed. Like you could feel pretty good, but to feel as good as you feel and to believe that you are as great as you are. And then to have someone see that and witness that and mirror that back to you, that's like a whole nother level of integration. That's a whole nother level of belief. That's like the resonance that we feel together. Like that's why some of the retreats are so important. Like women need to be seen in their higher power. My clients need to be seen when they make a breakthrough happen for themselves. So like that's the cool thing. Don't be afraid to be yourself and to to be like confident, like some people are like, I wish I was more confident, but then uh, well, they say something that's very confident and they'll go, that sounded like really cocky. I'm sorry. And I'm like, what? No, <laughs> <laughs> you're going backwards. You're right. going backwards. <laughs> yeah. Well, so everybody's on their own journey, but I feel like you should use things like mushrooms to gain clarity on what you're supposed to be doing? I don't want to preach and tell people do this, do that, because it's not right for everybody. Mm -hmm. It isn't. It's not a cure-all. My point in when I, when I want to talk to you and other people, I want to provide options mm -hmm. and people who know what they're doing. Ex, you know, you, you've had years of training and mm -hmm. mentorship. Do your research, talk to people, try a couple of things. Maybe if, if you feel like you've done your, your research and you feel like you have someone that you trust that can support you and that you can actually source high quality medicine. But otherwise, there are plenty of things that are completely legal and free that you can utilize. Yeah. And really just finding a group of People that have experienced some of the same traumas that you have is also a wonderful way to start as well. And with the internet, it's a little bit easier to do that. And I think people are already figuring that out themselves. That is a silver lining in COVID as we've become more dependent on virtual. So you and I can have mm -hmm. this conversation. And I just joined a virtual group for the integrated mm -hmm. man because I did an episode on that because we're expected to suppress mm -hmm. our feelings. 
and I'm, you know, I'm a softy, I'm <laughs> Captain Emo or sensitive <laughs> or whatever, but I'm also a passionate person and I want to help people. So how do people, what's, how often do you give your retreats and how can couples and, and women get in touch with you? Yeah. So, um, I'm always working with new clients. Like a lot of my containers are just seven phone calls just because it really helps them get started on their own psychedelic journey that they can do by themselves from wherever they are. So I love working with men and women on that. And then also couples. A lot of times I work with each of them individually and then we come together and have a really interesting conversation. I give them some practices that they can do together and then they typically uh, have understood what their blocks or things that they need to heal as a couple is. And then they go and do a trip together, which is extremely healing. So that is the majority of my work is the whole virtual aspect of it. Mm -hmm. I definitely do private like trip facilitations for people where we go and we find a place and we do a three day experience with each other. Um, and I support them on that. Retreats, I guess, only a couple a year just because they are extremely taxing. <laughs> and I take them very seriously. Like we build a really intense program that is going to be extremely transformational for people. It's not this cozy, relaxing little retreat. If you do this, the rest of your life or for sure the rest of your year will be extremely changed. And you could be going in a completely different direction. So about five to six of those a year, but it really just depends. This is all new right now. But the majority of it is, like I say, um, just getting people started on their journey and supporting them along the way. I really appreciate the time. And I'm so glad that we have people like you out there who are fighting the fight to destigmatize because I do think that mushrooms are the happy mm -hmm. medium. I agree. And I appreciate you too for doing all the work that it takes to have these conversations because I know it's not easy. So thank you. Yeah, I think some of my family, my sisters in particular, don't <laughs> want to listen to these episodes. But, I understand. But, yeah, yeah. Or the, why don't you just move to Oregon? Well, it's not even, that's not where we're, we're not there yet. <laughs> and that's not how I want to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, you want to make it change here where you are. Right, mm -hmm. right, exactly. Thank you. It is evident that Bijou's journey is both insightful and empowering. There are so many opportunities to explore and understand psilocybin and psychedelics in general. I really appreciate how clearly you can hear Bijou's transformation as a creative entrepreneur, stepping into her true calling, and helping so many individuals to elevate and understand their own purpose within both their careers and relationships. One of her key points is how psychedelics have helped her to become a conscious entrepreneur. During our discussion, we really only touched the surface of her personal journey, but it helps to open the conversation about the relationship between creativity and psychedelics. Next week, we'll have the chance to explore this relationship in depth with psychedelic leader, Laura Dawn, who works on the forefront of defining creativity. Laura is passionate about opening creative channels and after she shares her personal journey, we are invited to open our minds and challenge our thinking to receive a new narrative around creative practices. I look forward to continuing this conversation and sharing it with all of my listeners. As always, thank you for joining me on this journey. Until next time, 
This is Neurons to Nirvana. Nirvana.